I want to talk to you today about Thanksgiving Day, this coming Thursday, the importance uh, of what the day means. Because so many times we get together on that day, and uh, unless we've prepared ourselves for it, it becomes a day of just one long activity of, of kind of chaos. You're getting with family. Everyone's worried about the food. You're worried about getting the food lined up. You're worried about the, trying to get the kids quiet. You know, you're trying to keep maybe people from arguing <laughs> about politics or whatever. You know, it, you kind of, the day can lose its meaning uh, pretty quickly with, uh, with the gathering. Um, I, I always hope that when that families will stop, at least and have a word of prayer together before they eat. I'm sure not all families do that because um, not all families, of course, even think about God on Thanksgiving Day. But um, we always do, of course, in the, in the Cox household. Um, so this year we're going to be in Kokomo. We'll be with my dad and my aunt and all of our families are going there this, this Thanksgiving, God willing. But uh, I always like it that we, we, of course, stop. And of course, since I'm the preacher, guess who gets called on to pray all the time? You know, yeah, yes, usually it's me. And uh, I think it's so important for us to stop and think, okay, why are we here? And what's the significance of this day? So I don't, I don't usually preach or anything like that, or I don't, but I, I, I sometimes try to share a little something, you know, just to try to get us thinking along the lines of our country. Because um, Thanksgiving is, is a, uh, it's a trust to guard and to keep. And I'm telling you here, loved ones, it is really hard today. This is really hard for us to do this because of where we're at in our country right now. It is really hard to do this. Even those who know our history, I think sometimes almost feel <sighs> exhausted that can we hold on to it? Can we hold on to this country? Things have changed so much. The, the basics of morality have changed so much. I mean, and uh, um, the, the, the rules, the, the, you know, the, the moral laws have been degraded so much. You just think, is there any way back? Can we ever get back to that point where, where things were, if you will, decent again? You know, where they were, where, they're, they're, where they're, the, uh, the brilliance of the pilgrims, the principles of liberty and freedom, the, the, the principles of republic-type government, will they ever be restored to us again? It's, uh, well, a common saying, and we're going to look at First Samuel chapter 7, we'll get to that in just a minute, but a common saying among early Americans was that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Some people think Thomas Jefferson said that, but apparently he can't take credit for it. But it was a common understanding in the minds of Americans. We don't know exactly who said that, where that quote came from, but it was a common statement among early Americans uh, before the country was, was even formed that uh, the colonists were thinking these kind of thoughts, that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. In other words, you can't take liberty for granted. Someone will come along and take it away from you. Somebody who in the World Economic Forum will. Some elite person who thinks that they're smarter than you will come and take it away from you. Whether it be your, your right to speech or your right to religion or your right to guns or whatever it is, they'll come and because they think they know more than you, they will try to take it away. 
and our early our early uh, um, you know Americans would say they had this they understood this principle that we have to stay vigilant we have to stay on guard against those who would take away our liberties um, the you know the Constitutional Convention in 1787 it was held in secret strict secret uh, uh, it was held behind closed doors you know and uh, there were citizens, they were anxious, like, what kind of government are you going to give us? You know, and uh, what kind of, our leaders, what kind of government are they going to, you know, we won the war, we won the, the war, uh, you know, the Re- Revolutionary War, now what kind of government are they going to give us? And when they, when finally the, you know, this, the convention was over, the answer was provided immediately. A Mrs. Powell of Philadelphia asked Benjamin Franklin this question. They said, well, doctor, what have we got? Do we have a republic or do we have a monarchy like we had before? And with that, with no hesitation whatsoever, Franklin said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. A republic, if you can keep it. A republic, if you can keep it. Now, it's interesting. It's not a democracy. Our founders didn't, you know, we are democracy, but we're first and foremost a republic. A democracy is not they knew that was not a good idea because the majority is not always right <laughs> they said we can't have a democracy that's sometimes you know that, that means majority rules and sometimes sometimes the majority is not right we have to have a republic which is based upon moral law and this and these particular founders they said based upon god's law upon god's principles so therefore that doesn't change and so that will stay the same. And so we need a republic that is firm, where it's a, a form of government that, of people who are, are, who are adhering to God's moral law, God's laws that he had revealed in the, in the, in the scriptures. So without a doubt, loved ones, uh, we are a country that is trying to hold on to her republican form of government today, trying to hold on to her liberties. And the sad thing is, a lot of our leaders don't even know what that stuff means. They don't know what it means. Uh, Liberties that were bestowed by God, rights that were given by God, and acknowledged by the United States of America at the time of our Declaration of Independence in 1776, and and the in the empowering of our U.S. Constitution, and uh, which was uh, finally ratified in 1789, and um, Rhode Island being the last state to finally ratify that, the last of the 13 colonies in 1790. So with humility, we can say that the United States of America has been the greatest nation in the history of mankind. It's the culmination of the revelation of God's word. It really is. The the best government on earth is a republic. The best government in heaven is a monarchy. And why monarchies are not good on earth is because men are evil. That's why. Men are evil. And so evil kings do evil things to, to their people. You know? And that's why a republic, and that's why God gave the Hebrews, he gave in Moses, he gave to Moses, you can find this book of Exodus, he gave them a republic instead of a king. I don't want you to have a king. I don't want you to have a, monarch. I want you to have a monarchy. I want you to have a republic. Read it there in Exodus, the first part of Exodus, where God is establishing the government for Moses and the children of, 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 of Israel. But you know, they gave up the republic. 
Remember what Benjamin Franklin said? It's a republic if you can keep it. You remember? And in the book of Judges, how they decided they don't want a republic anymore. They want a king. And remember how Samuel tried to talk him out of it? He said, don't. You don't want a king. But they insisted on it. And so God gave him a king. And things went downhill from then. But in heaven, we can have a king because Jesus is the righteous one. Amen. He's never evil. And he can, he's the, that's the best form of government in heaven is to have a monarchy. Amen. Well, notice the phrase, this, the, these two phrases, eternal vigilance and republic, if you can keep it. Those ideas that match, you know, the, these two other notions that we as citizens of America must stay in touch with what's happening in our nation. You know, we have to stay in touch, loved ones. And I know it's discouraging, but we have to stay in touch. We've got to stay up to date. You say, oh, I don't want to, Pastor, or I don't get into that kind of stuff. Well, try a little bit. Try to learn what it means, to, what social justice means. We just had another one of our famous ministers succumb to social justice. He's written lots of books just this week. Just, uh, just found out about him and uh, um, asked me later if you want to know his name. I'll be glad to tell you. But uh, we just had another one. We have to know what, what, what these things mean, what social justice, what, what wokeism is, and what, what, you know, these things are undermining our liberties, undermining our republic. And um, we must be ready to speak and act according to the law of our constitution and the principles of liberty. Um, and I don't want to be melodramatic here, but I think never in the history of our country have we seen such a widespread, outright opponents to our Constitution and human rights um, that it guarantees and supporters of this elitism that wants to take away the rights of our, the people. Amen. So, so uh, in the last two to three years, particularly since COVID, um, you may not be aware of just you know, how much we've lost or how much we're at stake of losing in the principles of our liberty with all this social justice and wokeism stuff. Well, I need to rush on here, but the, you know, the nation of Israel is oftentimes reminded to think about, the, uh, about their history. They oftentimes, uh, they said, think about what God did for you in the, in the land of Egypt, how he brought you out of Egypt. God was reminding them, think about that. Don't, don't forget how I rescued you. And he was trying to say, you need to remember the history, your history, and how I worked in your history to bring you where you, are, where you are today. And we don't do that anymore. We don't think about the wonders of what, what, God, what God has done in our country. You know, this is a unique country, a unique country in all the history of the world. Because when a, when a country's history is forgotten, so are the lessons and the guidance that the nation has acquired, you know, uh, it's forgotten. And we, 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 we are seeing the, 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 the makings of power to wipe out the memory of our American heritage where it means tearing down statues or removing paintings or, you know, removing our history so we won't know it or falsely accusing our, our leaders in the past because of some weakness they had that we overlooked their entire life because they did one thing wrong. It's crazy. It's crazy. The current attempts at wiping out the noble things of our forefathers and American ancestors um, is, I just heard of another statue being removed down, down south. I think it was a statue of, uh, of uh, General Lee. You know, General Lee, he was, 
he was a very a noble man. Yes, he, he, he had some, like all men, had imperfect things within him, but he had some very noble principles, and he loved the Lord Jesus Christ, too. Well, um, these other groups that are protesting all the time, they're so extreme and so, so against ob- the obvious truth. And um, we just need to, when it comes to Thanksgiving Day, on Thanksgiving Day over in Plymouth, Massachusetts, there's going to be a group of people celebrating and protesting against the pilgrims. And they'll be basically saying the pilgrims were oppressive to the Native Americans. And uh, they'll totally try to undermine the, uh, what God did through the pilgrims to rescue, to rescue actually the Indians many times. Of course, yes, we've done many wrong things that, need, that we need to repent of, and we have repented of, and the, the country is, has, has not been perfect by any means. And, um, but I, I think the wise thing to do is understand that even though America has made terrible mistakes and she's had to repent, like I said, a num- number of times, um, she's not been nearly as noble as God wanted her to be. But since she's pushed the Lord out of her government, since 1950s, 1960s, these groups that have pushed him out have different agendas and they're, they're not for the advancement of America as our founders understood liberty, but rather a form of government that restricts liberty and attempts to force people to think like they do. This uh, current progressiveness that is going, going on, this attitude seems to be like this, that we feel the traditional generation has overused the color blue. <laughs> This is what this one is like. So therefore, we want everything to be red. And if you want it blue, you're going to lose your job. You know? And we're going to outlaw the color blue. And those who like blue, they're going to be fired and they're going to be demoralized and even punished in some way. Yeah. If you don't make a cake for a homosexual wedding, well then you're going to be put in jail. You know? That's what I'm talking about. Let's read the text. How about that? It says, The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. And then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. I only use two sentences here, two, two verses I should say, because I'll give you the history of what, those, what was going on here. In the days of 1 Samuel, Israel was sharing their love for Yahweh with false gods, particularly one named Baal and, and Asherah was, was the other one. These were fertility gods of the Canaanites. And they were disobeying God, the Hebrews were. They were worshiping these demonic gods. And basically what these gods promoted, what, the, what, their, what their philosophies were, they promoted sexual immorality. They uh, promoted all kinds of weird uh, sexual uh, things. And uh, uh, during a war with the Philistines, um, the national symbol of God's presence, which was the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that God gave Moses. That Ark of the Covenant was taken, was, was, was taken in, in the process of winning the war. It was taken as booty. 
And when the Philistines took it back home, actually this is a, I'll give you a little diagram here. Uh, might help you to understand what was going on there. Um, maybe help you understand what's going on today in Israel too. The Philistines lived right here. Oh, this crazy thing. <laughs> Let's go back. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I got to learn to use this new one. This is a new, a new one here. Okay, I'm going to try to do it. Um, but you see right here, this Gaza Strip here, this is where the Philistines lived. In my understanding, the word Philistine is also a variant of Palestinian. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So here we have the Gaza Strip, and this is back again, of course, in the days of 1 Samuel. And uh, the Philistines were always coming out of here and attacking, attacking Jerusalem, attacking Israel. This is Israel, the land of Israel. They were always attacking. And, they, and during one of their attacks, they, they defeated Israel because Israel, again, is not worshiping Yahweh. They're worshiping these false gods. And so God allowed them to lose in, the, in this battle, in this war. And the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it back to Gaza. They took it back to Gaza and they stood it up next to their god, their false god. Their false god here is Dagon. It's a, called the fish god. <laughs> this is who they worshipped. You know, the Philistines did. And so they, they took the Ark of the Covenant and uh, um, they, they, they took that and they, and they set it right up next to Dagon. Right there in the temple. And they gloated. They said how Dagon was superior to Yahweh. And, um, but they, they set it up and they, went, and they went to bed. And the next morning when they, uh, when they came to the temple, they found that Dagon was, had fallen over on his face. Uh, right in front of the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> uh, and um, the Philistines, they, they set him back up again. The next day, Dagon had fallen down again. But this time, his head and his hands had broken off. Then the Philistines began to get sick and die. And after seven months of death, they decided, you know what? <laughs> Ever since we brought this Ark of the Covenant back, there's been nothing but problems here, you know? And uh, they decided that Yahweh, or the, the God of the Hebrews, they decided he's real, and he's the superior God to, to, to Dagon. Dagon is inferior to, to Yahweh. They even knew about Pharaoh and Egypt and Moses. They knew that history. They decided to return the Ark to Israel in a unique way that proved their troubles were from God. And you can read about the story there in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 5, 6, and 7. But um, they decided that they were going to get rid of this Ark of the Covenant and get it back to Israel. And they, they did it in a unique way and they were convinced that God was real. Upon receiving the Ark back, Israel repented of her sins against God by getting rid of all the idols in their homes and on the day they had designated for repenting, fasting, and worshiping the Lord, those rascally Philistines, let me tell you what they did. They heard about it. They said, hey, they're in a special religious session. Let's attack them now. They decided to attack them. However, God, it says, thundered. He thundered from heaven, and he threw the Philistines into such confusion that they fled, and Israel chased after them and claimed a great victory. And that's what we just read about, that they chased after him and they were slaughtered. And Samuel gathered the nation together and set up a great, a special memorial stone called an Ebenezer stone to help remind the Israelites that it was the Lord who had involved himself with them and rescued the nation from disaster. 
So here they won this great victory. And so Samuel says, hey, let's set up this special stone here. And it'll be, we'll call it an Ebenezer stone. And it'll remind us of what God has done for us. So when you see it, you won't forget. Got it? You know, when you, when you see that big stone, you'll know that, hey, remember how God 10 years ago, how he rescued us from the Philistines? Well, we have Ebenezer stones, don't, don't we? Now let's get to that. We have Ebenezer stones all the time. You know, we may not remember that. We, we may not know this, but I hope this will jog our memories a little bit that, that we have Ebenezer stones. We, you know, we have, we have things, you know, like rings. <laughs> I tell you, when I look at this ring, I remember I belong to somebody. I've made a covenant with somebody. You know, I, I do look at it. I mean, it's a part of my heart now, a part of my spirit. But occasionally I do look at it and I, and I said, yeah, it's not coming off. Well, doctor says otherwise I'm having surgery and things, but, but you know, it never comes off because it's an Ebenezer stone. It reminds me of something very important that God has done in my life. Um, there's, there's, there's other things too. Uh, you know, there's Christmas. Christmas reminds us of something very, very important. Uh, it doesn't remind, it's not supposed to, it's first of all supposed to remind us, of course, of the Savior being born. Uh, of course, the cross is, the, is a great Ebenezer stone. The empty tomb is also. Uh, this is for our country. This is Christopher Columbus. That's, that reminds us, he's an Ebenezer. He reminds us that God used him to, to uh, find the new world. Of course, and here's Ebenezer stones here. President Lincoln and, and uh, the Marines there taking, taking Okinawa there. Yeah. Um, those are reminders of God blessing us. They're called Ebenezer stones. Yeah. So we, we still have them today. Loved ones, uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an Ebenezer stone. It's an Ebenezer stone. It's Thanksgiving Day. It's the Ebenezer stone for America. President Abraham Lincoln, he established our first official Thanksgiving Day as November, in November 26, 1863. So this year is the 161st Thanksgiving since that day. And again, just as an expression of humble thanks to God for this great union victory that God had given the, the, you know, the union at Gettysburg. Um, FDR... Uh, tried to switch Thanksgiving Day to the third day, uh, the, the third Thursday, excuse me, of November in 1939 in order to kind of boost the economy so people would, would, uh, would increase the shopping days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But Congress switched it back then, 1941, back to the fourth Thursday. Lincoln said this, he said, Thanksgiving and praise to our, uh, benef- uh, be- to our wonderful Father who dwelleth in the heavens, to be celebrated on the last Thursday in November. Thanksgiving Day then should remind us of the riches that the pilgrims brought to the new world. Well, let me just kind of conclude today with talking about this, our history here. What is the Ebenezer Stone? What is Thanksgiving Day? 
the pilgrims, they, they fled Holland in 1608 because the state was persecuting them for their faith. They were part of the Puritans, but they were called separatists, and they, uh, they didn't believe that the Church of England was even redeemable, so they said, we're going to separate from that. The Puritans thought, no, we can stay here, we can try to purify it, but, but they found out later they couldn't. But um, the separatists, they decided to bamboos. They left, and they went to Holland to try to find a freedom for worship where they could worship the Lord. And uh, they did find find it in Holland, but they also found something else. They found a very wicked country. And uh, things were so wicked there that they were beginning to lose their children. Their children began to, to uh, you know, to not follow the Lord. And so they said, you know, we need to get our children away from these worldly influences. Plus, they had this burden to, to share the gospel with the natives in the new world. They just had this burden, this passion to be missionaries to the new world. So they said they felt like the Lord wanted them to go to the new world. So the true spiritual vision of these earliest Americans and their Puritan brothers a few years later um, was to establish a society and civil government based upon the freedom of God's kingdom that was in their hearts and also to reach the natives, the Native Americans. And this meant that their society would be based upon loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbors yourself. That was the foundation of America, really. That's the whole basis of the Bill of Rights, is loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbors you love yourself. There it is. That God could fill your life in such a way through Jesus Christ. This, these are their words. That He could fill your life in, su- in such a way that you don't need to rape and pillage and steal and kill, harm your neighbor. <laughs> they wanted to form a country like that where people would have understand their individual rights and that they would love God and love one another. And that's something that uh, a few years later, you've heard me preach about this too, where they, they finally come to understand that, that God had uh, called them, uh, the pilgrims as well as the Puritans, to help establish this understanding of republic government, of self-government based on the word of God. Now God can change a man's life, a woman's life, and cause them to live in such a way that they love God and love their neighbor that they said, we can be a city on a hill. We could, uh, we're not the kingdom of God. We're going to establish a country. We're not the kingdom of God, but we can establish a nation that reflects that, those thoughts, that Jesus Christ and change your life in such a way that you can love your neighbor and we don't have to have tyranny. Yeah. So, that, and that, that America would be an exceptional country, even though our presidents lately have said the opposite. <laughs> they came across, of course, they were crowded on the deck of the Mayflower when they left. If you look closely here, I, I'm hesitant to push this, but there, that's the second deck of the Mayflower, and there was 102 pilgrims crowded on there. They weren't allowed to go up here. They were forbidden to go to the top deck, so they had to stay down here. 102 sick people, <laughs> seasick people, throwing up, crying babies, crying children, you know, trying to love God and love their neighbor. 66 days stuck down there across a turbulent ocean. And if you read their testimonies, they talk about how that sometimes their tempers flared and they said it was God's way of showing us that we're not as, as surrendered to Him as we thought. And so they would, would repent and ask God to fill them with His love. Then they would clean up the vomit. <laughs> 
Yeah, all kinds of amazing things happened on that trip over. That God, how God worked in their in their life. One particular thing was a terrible storm. The uh, the, uh, the the main mast broke, and uh, they thought that the ship was was going to sink, was in peril. But uh, um, the uh, um, William Brewster, who had a printing press, and they took the printing press to to hold the ship together to jack up the main mast so that it didn't break in. The pilgrims saved the ship there. And then finally on November 9th, they sighted land. And on November 11th, 1620, they dropped anchor in sight what is now Cape Cod. Before leaving, and as you've already answered, before leaving, they signed the Mayfire Compact and they created a document that they all signed, of course, which created a civil government based upon the laws of freedom and equality, not equity, equality. You say, what's the difference, Pastor? That's the main thing today that's trying to take away your rights is this thing called equity, not equality. It's equity. It sounds alike, but it's not. Equity means that we're going to take away what you have earned, what you have made, and we're going to give it to the group. It's not fair you have what you have. You should share it with everybody. That's equity. It's a violation of our rights, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which means property. The Bible teaches that we can be possessors of private property. That's God's plan. Anyway, we've got to rush on here. The pilgrims, they barely had time. Just as we close here, they had time to construct a few shelters. And in December, they began to grow sick with consumption and tuberculosis and pneumonia. And on board the Mayflower, the, 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 uh, the seamen, they began to die as well. And when the worst was over, uh, the pilgrims had lost 47 of their original 102. And finally, spring arrived, and so did an Indian named Squanto. You remember his story? Wonderful, wonderful Christian Native American who had, God had used to uh, um, actually go to England and uh, Europe and finally came back, and he helped, the, helped, he came back to find that his tribe had died of a plague, and he was so depressed and discouraged, but then he found the pilgrims, they needed help, and so he helped them to plant corn and fish and hunt and live off the land. And, and during the summer of 1621, the growing season was really good that summer summer. They had such an abundance of crops and the pilgrims, uh, they'd have plenty of food for the winter and they decided to have a feast of thanksgiving to God for his abundant grace to them. And they, so in October 1621, the pilgrims and 90 Indians, I think there was only like four women. So that was a lot of cooking for those women to fix food for all those, all those people. But, um, they feasted on venison and wild turkey and puddings of cornmeal and maple syrup and all kinds of vegetables, fruit pies, and like I, we learned, and popcorn as well. And there were shooting contests and foot races and wrestling matches. There you go, wrestling matches on the living room floor this, this, this coming Thursday. And a feast that lasted, what, three days. They, they, they feasted for three days. They partied for three days of thanking God. The pilgrims, they brought five great themes here. And I won't, I won't talk about those very long, but this is five themes that they brought to our country. First of all is that the Bible is the only infallible and sure rule of faith and practice. Also that it's a guidebook for men, family, and nations. The principles of biblical moral law are eternal. Transcend, they transcend time and all cultures. They also brought that true liberty can only survive under the law of Christ. And lastly, that the purpose of a free society is to pass a vision of freedom onto your children. <laughs> that they can worship God without interference from the state 
and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those were the principles of the pilgrims when they came to America. Pretty deep. Pretty amazing. And that one right there, the true liberty can only survive under the law of Christ. That's why, loved ones, if we don't, if we don't see the law of Christ, the Word of God, come back as a foundation stone for our country, we are doomed. There's no way liberty can, can exist. In 1741, after the pilgrims settled in Pil- uh, Plymouth, the town planned to, uh, this, again, this was 1741, so this was 121 years later or so, but uh, uh, they, the Plymouth, they had planned to build a new wharf uh, on the waterfront. An elderly 94-year-old man by the name of Thomas Fonts, this is an amazing story, who was born in 1647. This is where, where they would be right there. He was born in 1647 was carried in a chair to the waterfront at the base of what is Coles Hill. He pointed out a special rock. His father had arrived in Plymouth in 1623 as one of the church members from Holland. And as a child, Font said that the rock had been pointed out to by his father and several other first settlers, and he had always remembered it, admonished by his grandmother to never forget that the first fateful step that the pilgrims made in America was on that rock. And if it wasn't for Thomas Fonts, this sacred site for us as Americans might have been lost. But he knew it was there. So they carried him there, age 94, and he pointed out the rock to his fellow Americans saying, it's that rock right there. That was a rock our forefathers stepped on. The first rock they stepped on when they got out of the boat here in America. Revisionists today tend to doubt that story, but I, I believe it's true. It was written down for us to, to know it's true. And besides, the pilgrims had to step on land somewhere, right? So my friends, let me just say this. You can go there and visit that, that, that rock today in Plymouth, Massachusetts. But this, is, uh, this rock here, this is an Ebenezer stone. That's an Ebenezer stone for us. That when we look at that rock, we remember our pilgrim fathers stepped on that rock first. When they got out of the boat, that's the rock they stepped on to establish God's will here in this country as a free republic, as a Christian republic. So let's remember that. And and explore the riches of our godly heritage and remember that it is a trust to guard and a trust to keep. Amen. Father, today as we prepare ourselves to uh, enjoy a, a wonderful feast together, we thank you so much that, again, you have placed us in this country. Your word tells us that uh, you're the one who decides who lives where. And so, Lord, we know while other people live in different countries for different purposes, your people do. You've got your will for them to accomplish. And they, Lord, they, uh, they have their sense of fulfillment wherever you have planted them. Lord, we have the same privilege of knowing that you have planted us here in this country. Lord, actually in this town, in this, in, this, in this community, for a purpose that we are called to glorify Jesus Christ here. This is where we're called. And we're called, Lord, to glorify him in the midst of all this, the rich treasures, the, 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 the riches of, of our heritage, of, of a republic, a government, based upon your word and of the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. 
Lord, we pray that you will help us to not forget in these discouraging days, help us to keep fighting, to keep establishing the truth, to keep saying what's right and what's, what's good. Help us not to clam up because we're afraid, Lord. Help us to, to be bold and just say what is right, what is good, what is true. Help us to be that kind of people for you, dedicated to, to the truth, dedicated to what you have done, the Ebenezer Stones you have set up here in our country to remind us of what you have done. Help us to continue to remember and to tell our children, to tell our grandchildren, Lord, that Jesus Christ may be exalted in us and through us. Lord, we pray today that as we, as we um, go to prepare ourselves to enjoy a feast, we want to thank you so much for providing so much for us in abundance. Lord, and uh, even in this economy, Lord, where things are inflated, we thank you that we still have the opportunity to have an abundance of goodness and food. So thank you for these things today. And thank you for our fellowship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for your kind attention today. And let's stand together and go right on over and commence to eating because we've already prayed and thank the Lord and enjoy this time of celebration.